day we finally decided to actually pull the trigger, we walked to the park and sat down in the grass and just talked for like two hours, trying to figure out what was going on. So it was not an easy decision. I don't think I knew consulting was the next step. I think it took landing a, a pretty decent sized project and realizing we were really enjoying that and we were enjoying helping other people with this thing that they couldn't do. Hey, Feasters, and welcome to episode 10, the final episode of season four of Live in the Feast. Crafting a proper message for your company is something you hear a lot of, but often it's not executed very well, except by Andrew Askins and his team at Crit. Andrew is the founder of Crit, a development and design firm that helps non-technical founders build their products and get them into the wild. What's unique about Crit is that they were a startup themselves and shifted the business towards consulting after the founders made a pact at the very start of their business, not doing that exact thing. It's an awesome story that we unpack here. Andrew crafted the message in extremely well and how he speaks about his customers, his values, and how he communicates everything about the business. It's no wonder he's grown the business to where once they were being compared to a larger firm, now they stand out from the crowd and are unique. This is all due to how they speak about the business and attract the types of customers that they have great success with. That's why I had to bring Andrew on to share his journey. It's not without its ups and downs, but I'm sure you'll agree that Andrew knows his business very, very well, and that's why Crit's message resonates so well. This episode is brought to you by Feast, the premium online coaching and community designed for web developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers of all type wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that's profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing, and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to respected person for your services. That, together with monthly roundup calls, exclusive workshops, expert chit-chats, and our Slack community, you'll have everything you need to live the life of your own design. If you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise, then join Feast. Head over to feastcourse.com today. Feasters, welcome. And today's co-host is Andrew Askins. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Jason. I'm excited to be here. Also, I like the name Feasters. That's a, that's a pretty good one. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're all about. We're all Feasters here, living in the feast, right? <laughs> Andrew is founder of a startup turned app design and development studio. We'll, we'll talk about how that happened. But they work with startups in the idea phase to launch their products and take their idea for an app essentially into reality. Andrew, why don't you share with us a little bit more about why you do what you do? Yeah, so you kind of hit the nail on the head. I can tell you actually dug into our website a little bit, which is awesome. <laughs> um, 
So we started off as a startup ourselves, actually, while I was still in college at the University of South Carolina, got an opportunity to be a part of an accelerator program. And we tried for about a year and a half to build a SaaS app, uh, got it off the ground, got a couple thousand free users, but only had a handful of paying customers and really just got burnt out on it, realized our hearts weren't in the market that we were in the problem we were trying to solve, we weren't sure was really best solved by software. And so we tried to figure out what we were going to do next. And we started picking up some consulting work on the side to pay the bills. And we really just realized that we loved doing that. We actually swore to ourselves when we started the SaaS company that we were not going to become a consulting company. Promised ourselves really, because the company I worked at before had gone through that exact transition. So we were like, we're not going to do that no matter what. And then got burnt out on the SaaS product and we're like, shit, wow, we just are super burnt out, but we're actually really enjoying consulting with this company. It was just one one or two small clients at the time. And so we just we decided to go all in on that. And you know, we were not did not bill ourselves as working with startups at first, you know, really for the first two years that we were consulting full time to two and a half years. Uh, we just tried to be, uh, did the same thing everyone does, right? We tried to be a catch-all digital agency for whatever. And over time, we started to realize that it's actually funny. There was another company here in town, um, and feel free to stop me if I'm rambling. But there's another company here in town who who was also working with startups. And there were two really interesting things that I experienced. One is it drove me crazy when I would talk to other people about what we did, they'd be like, Oh, so, so you're kind of like that company. And I'd be like, yeah, but like, why don't you get that? Why do you, why do I have to talk to you for five minutes before you realize that? Like we work with startups too. Why does no one think that? And I finally just realized it was because we weren't telling people that like we were trying to tell people we're an agency trying to tell people all these things before we got to, we work with startups. And so I was like, oh, wow, what you tell people you do matters. That's weird. Seems super obvious, but it took me two years to figure that out. (laughs) And then the other thing was, you know, because there was this other company who had kind of a similar niche, I was sort of scared for a long time that like, if we owned that niche and said, oh yeah, that is who we are, that we were going to be seen as like copying them or something. Which again, is just silly because we have a totally different culture. We have a totally different vibe. We, you know, we approach the, yeah, it's a similar market, but we approach it from a totally different way. And most of our clients who we actually end up working with have never met them and don't know that they exist. It's not like everyone's coming and finding us two companies and then comparing each other. So it was, I guess, sort of switching from a scarcity to an abundance mindset and realizing it it really doesn't matter. Sure. So yeah, those were two of the things that I had to kind of overcome. And, and then, you know, it was really only about this time last year, it was a little earlier than this. It was like maybe October of the year before last that we started to tweak our website just to just to try to own that message. And I started trying to use it when I was talking to people. And then when I realized that that was working, then we, again, went sort of all in on that. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. How did you feel when you went into the business originally and you said you weren't going to go into consulting at all? Yeah. How did you feel when you realized, okay, maybe we should? (laughs) Uh, It's weird. There were a lot of feelings there because... One, like we 
we had to admit that this product that we'd been working on for a year and a half, like pouring our hearts and souls into had failed. Essentially, we were shutting it down. We were giving up on it. So there was a lot of mixed emotion there. And then to top that off, because we had told ourselves initially that we weren't going to be consultants, it felt like doing exactly that was kind of adding to that failure. But again, it was one of those things where you just sort of realize that none of it matters. Like, you know, no one really cares that, you know, some kids in South Carolina failed at a startup. Like, that's just a normal thing. And, you know, we got the opportunities we did to do the consulting work because of the work did on that. So it, you know, it still led to something and, and really just owning that feeling of burnout and realizing we didn't want more of that. And we wanted to go after the thing that was working. And, and I think I've always liked teaching people and that's kind of what consulting is, right? It's, it's taking your expertise and, and some of it's doing the work, but there's also this piece of it that's teaching people about the work and educating them. And, and just, that was cool. And being in South Carolina specifically, like the one advantage we had while we were building that company, and it's actually, it's always been the same company. We kept the name when we shut it down, which is kind of weird. But um, So we shut the product down, but we didn't shut the company down. I mean, you had, uh, and there's a couple of things that I want to I ask you, but you had a team already that was basically going forward with this one vision and all of a sudden you all decided that well with that vision you all on board with that then was it you or somebody else that realized okay maybe the consultant thing is going to work better and how did you get everybody else on board with that i mean what was what was the what were those conversations like yeah they didn't happen overnight they happened over a course of months um so actually We'd been working on this product for probably about a year before we finally got it to a place where we were going to like do our product hunt launch, right? Product hunt for those who maybe aren't as obsessed with startups as I am is like a community where people post really interesting new products. And it's sort of the place that especially more independent style makers have come have rallied around to launch new things they're working on and get some initial traction. And for a bunch of nerdy developers like us who didn't know anything about marketing, our whole launch plan was just get it on product hunt. <laughs> so like the night before we started doing the consulting, like a few months before this happened, started by just picking up a project from our old bosses. You know, they had some overflow work and then, you know, we started reaching out to some people looking actively looking for work again, just trying to pay the bills and keep the lights on so we could get this product out the door. And actually the night before we launched the product, I like sat my two co-founders down and I was like, guys, I don't think this is going to work. I think we're, I think we're chasing the wrong problem. I know we're like ready to launch, but I just, I don't think it's going to work out. And luckily I think they are a little bit more stable just level-headed than I am. So they were like, Andrew, you're being an idiot. Why wouldn't we launch it? We're already here. Like, let's just launch it and see what happens. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which was the smart thing to do. And so we did. And at first it felt like it was working because we got the product hunt launch went really well. Um, It resonated with people and we got a couple thousand free users, but then it kind of sold out and we were trying to figure out what was happening. We had all these free users. None of them were converting to paid users. So we just started talking to our customers, talking to our customers. And, you know, what we were hearing was not, oh, man, this product is great. It's solving all my problems. What we were hearing was like, and eh, this isn't that big a problem. And, and, but 
we were hearing that people loved it still. They were like, oh yeah, I think it's great, but it's not that big a problem. So I'm read between the lines. I mean, people weren't going to pay for it, but they liked the work we did. And that was kind of everything for us. And so we, you know, it took a long time. It took, and I think the day we finally decided to actually pull the trigger, we were, again, sort of sat down with my co-founders. We walked to the park and sat down in the grass and just talked for like two hours trying to figure out what was going on. And so it was not an easy decision. And it took, I think it, you know, I may have been willing to make that decision sooner, although I don't think I knew consulting was the next step. I think it took, you know, landing a, a pretty decent sized project. Um, at the time, it was a $30,000 project. You know, we were way under billing even at that rate, but at the it was like a mind-boggling amount of money to us at the time. So kind of landing that and realizing we were really enjoying that and we were enjoying helping other people with this thing that they couldn't do. So like here was somebody, like we'd struggled with our startup on the business and the marketing side of things, but we always had the tech and the design side down. That was easy, like building a product, you know, making it look good. That was the stuff we were great at and that we loved doing. It was all the, the rest that we couldn't figure out. And here was somebody who was the exact opposite, who had an idea for how to market things, understood the business and the financial side of things, and really just needed someone to come in and help with the design development. And so that was kind of exciting. And, and all those things, you know, just led to that day where we sat down in the park and we were like, all right, one thing here is working. One thing is not. We got to own up to that and just and move forward. No, I think that's smart. I mean, because just if you're doing something yourself, like, and then realizing that it's, not working the way that you had planned or the way that you thought or just admitting that this is this is this thing is not working anymore to have a consensus of that like that like if somebody was like a stalwart and be like no this is gonna work and this is we have to keep moving forward and like all that stuff i'm sure i mean that that little meeting in the park so to speak getting away from the business getting away from the screens and stuff did did good because i've heard like friendships and relationships and stuff like they die like at that point because it's just like people are arguing and it's just like i mean it's it's awesome to hear that 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 worked you know it's worked out better right i mean i think that that's that experience that you did go through in building that product that you went through and you launched and you got feedback all of that that whole experience there, I think probably serves you and your clients now even more so than just an agency that's building things, right? Absolutely, yeah. You have that history there and you have that experience and knowledge of what all of that stuff feels like and all of the bumps in the road there. And is that some of your unique uniqueness and your the culture that you bring to your clients? Totally. Early on, even when we didn't know that we were selling to startups, like that's who we resonate with because it's who we were. And that was part of the narrative I I built into. Again, I didn't even know it was a sales pitch. It was just me talking to people. But um, that's part of the narrative that I built into the, the pitch in the early days. It's like, hey, we're different from other agencies because we didn't come from a big company. We didn't start an agency from scratch. Like we were a startup. We were in your shoes. And we like to joke that you know, all we're doing now is trying to help clients avoid the mistakes that we made. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's good. Yeah. And so that's, that's been a huge part. Um, I think over time that's shifted a little bit. So now I think our uniqueness has more to do with, it still is all 
sort of rooted in that early DNA that we created of like, you know, people who are obsessed with design, who are obsessed with, you know, writing good code, who were obsessed with just product and who had experienced the struggles and thought had to think about the business side, had to think about the marketing side. You know, we're still to this day, very much not developers who just, you come to us and we build whatever you ask and then hand it to you and walk away. Like we want to get in the trenches with you. We want to get to know, like we want to think about the business side of things. Um, we want you to own that because we recognize that it's what you know our clients are best at. But we also, you know, we don't want to ignore it. We strongly believe that you know development should care about those things. Design should care about business. So it's all rooted in those early days. But then over time, you know, your uniqueness changes a little bit. Now, you know, I would say instead of helping clients prevent the mistakes that we made early on, you know, we're now. We're still doing that, but you know, we're also drawing on experiences from working with lots of other startups. And we're you know, drawing on all these new things that we've learned in the past few years. And so it changes a little bit, but definitely there's, there's those roots there that I, I think will always make up who we are as a company. Mm, no, I love that. I mean, because I think, I mean, for a lot of our listeners here that they, they struggle with, sometimes they get their hands on an idea and they mm-hmm. think that that's where they have to go. And then especially in the idea of niching down or specializing their business or trying to learn from their past experiences so that they can move forward. They think that once they have that idea, that specialty or thing, that's what they have to do for the next 10 years or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And from hearing you and for me, my own experience too, is that that's just your marketing message is what you're saying, right? Like doesn't mean that people aren't going to come to you in the, from other angles and from wanting other things from you and, and other services and offering and products and all those other things. That's just who you are. And like we were saying before, your message, this is who we, this is who we serve. And maybe you fit, maybe you don't, but maybe there's other things we could work together on. Yeah, totally. So a perfect example of that is, you know, we have, you know, our marketing, our messaging is really not just startups, it's non-technical founders. We want to work with non-technical founders. We want to be your technical co-founder. Um, and that's a word that we found over time resonated with people. Like people would hear that and go, oh yeah, I'm non-technical. And it's almost like a fear that people have. Like they're afraid of being non-technical and building a tech company. And so it evokes some emotions. That's our message that we put out into the world. And I had a lot of those same, those same fears when we were trying to decide, are we going to go all in on startups? Because startups in a lot of ways are not always a great market. They're cash traps. They're, you know, it's a like, how do you find a startup founder? You know, they could be in healthcare, they could be in legal, they could be in real estate. They're all over the place. But realizing that it evolves over time and and actually that the company who I mentioned earlier, who is here in our area and who was also focused on startups, I was hanging out with the founder one day. And he sort of said something to me, essentially, like, that's just what we put in our portfolio. And that that was another one of those lessons learned. So even today, when all of our messaging is around non-technical founders, doing a roadmapping session with a company in January, and they're super technical, and they're looking for someone to come in and help with design. And so you know, you're not locked into always working with these people. And we're always looking for ways to evolve our niche. And you know, I have a million thoughts about the different directions we could go. But yeah, getting over that, realizing that, like thinking about it as like, 
the work you do and then the work you put in your portfolio is like maybe a way to help ease some of that fear and understand the difference, the difference there. Yeah. I, what I encourage a lot of people that I coach, right? I, so I coach yeah. freelancers as well. Oh, cool. So what I, when they start trying to figure out what specialty to go into or what industry to go into, they're always like, so I have to redo my whole website. I'm like, no, just put a landing page out and direct yep. people to that. When you're talking about the thing, just make it simple. Like keep it simple first. And then figure it, like you're saying, like if you think about it in smaller terms, simple terms, like if it took three steps to get to where I want to go, what are those three steps? And don't overcomplicate things. So I love that. Yeah. Just put it in your portfolio. These are the only ones that are go make it a rule. These are the only things that are going in the portfolio and that's who's going to be. You've still got the rest. So you get an email from somebody, you need the work. None of us are perfect. We can't always do exactly the ideal client. Sometimes you have to take a, a project and your portfolio is what's on your website, but it's also all the work you've done. And so you can pull those individual pieces and create a portfolio in a single email if you, if you need to tweak it. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, I mean, that, that, <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's, that's a lot of things that I try to do in my own business. When I get a lead that doesn't necessarily fit the marketing message that I put out there, yeah, doesn't mean that my follow-up sequence isn't tailored to what they are. Like yeah. I'll use case studies that, you know, fit their model and, you know, all of those kind of things. If I'm doing real development API work stuff instead of more of the on-site personalization stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't talk about the API stuff because nobody, you know, most of the people that come to me, they don't even know that that's what they need. Right. So, yeah. but here, here's a case study of one of these kind of projects that I worked on. Here's what they came to me with, which is very similar to you. And that's a portfolio piece. It's just the back end. It's like the back door to my business, right? Yeah. And what's kind of fun is you then start to think about all of those is like, oh, this is me experimenting with a new marketing message. And so if I get, if I start noticing a trend, like recently I've noticed we've been getting more staff augmentation sort of leads. And so I'm like, oh, okay, now maybe I need to, we're still your technical co-founder, but maybe I need to develop some marketing and stuff around staff augmentation and what we can do there. And Again, the way I would do that is I'd still make our big front and center message where your technical co-founder, but you know, each one of these leads I get, I just develop a little bit more of that, that now secondary marketing message of staff augmentation. It's like, oh, now I've got a testimonial from one client. So I've, I use that next time. And then I test, you know, these emails or this, you know, demo and sort of figure, figure it out there. Um, and then it becomes kind of fun because you're like, oh, I'm now you get a lead that's a little different. You're like, oh, cool. This is now a chance to test something new. That's kind of fun. Right, <laughs> um, right. Yeah. I mean, and, and all this stuff takes time. Like yeah, a lot of people, totally. I think, I think a lot of people think that it's just like a, a light switch, like, oh, okay, boom. But it's that whole chicken or the egg thing, right? Like if I'm in a niche and I don't have those pieces, then how do I market to it? And then I don't do anything. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> just play with your messaging, get the leads in. And like you are saying, like you do get other things like, Play with your messaging, see what resonates, see what doesn't tailor things a little around because it's not set in stone. You could change this with the next one. Right. So, yeah. And it totally, you're right. It totally takes time. I actually, you know, I would love it if from day one, we had owned our messaging and had all of that, but that's not the case. It took us two years to get there. And I almost think you have to struggle through that, like being everything for everyone, because you have to kind of figure out what you're really good at and, you have to test those messages and see what's resonating with people. And 
it's a pain in the butt, but it, but it it takes time. Um, it's hard to short circuit it unless you've done it before. Like maybe you're coming out of a a super specialized profession where you were essentially a consultant for some type of company and then you're starting your own practice, then maybe you can jumpstart it a little, but otherwise it's just a lot of tweaking and experimenting. Yeah. And it's also important, you know, we're talking about when a lead comes in, that's not a good fit. Like you don't necessarily have to turn them away. But maybe an interesting question, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this is like, there is a line there, right? Like there is a line between they're not a, like they're good fit, but they're just, they don't fit with our marketing message. Okay. I'm still going to, I'm now just going to experiment with this new marketing message, still try to close them. And I still think I can do a good job. Um, Like those people are still in my mind, cool to go after, but then there's sometimes people will come in and they're just clearly not a good fit. Like, it's not that they don't fit with your marketing message. Like they don't fit with who you are, who you want to work with. Like, and that's kind of a different thing. How do you like think about that and figure out where to draw the line? Yeah. I mean, it's all about the sales process for me. I think of sales as more of serving the lead in the best way possible, right? Rather than approaching every sales call as I need to close this. Cause when I did that, then I would close bed, bad clients, right? Yeah. Like not, not a fit clients. And then the project wouldn't be successful as, as it could have been. Now, when I get leads, like what you're suggesting about that, I feel I can help them. Maybe they don't fit the profile that I market to. Like I market to e-commerce. I market to membership websites. I market to maybe some service oriented or nonprofits, those kind of things. But I've gotten speakers come to me, uh, you know, other areas on their industries come to me and I know I can help them because they basically have the same foundation that I know I could be successful with. Yeah. And I tell them I'm really transparent. I said, look, I don't only work with one other or none or whatever. And I think I could help you. And this is why I think I could help you. But for those ones that I just do draw the line, I try to recognize that as soon as I can earlier on in the process. And then I refer them. I try to, I've always, I mean, this is, and this goes back, you know, 10 years when I started doing freelance, I learned that I wanted, I wanted the person that came to me to leave me in a better place, whether that's against my own best interests or not. Right. So if I could refer somebody else, you know, case in point this morning, he's a prime prime example. I got a lead coming in and they wanted front end development, which I don't do. You know, I said, look, I'll try to help you out. I'll, I'll, I have trusted vendors and trusted people that I work with and uh, I'll ask around, see if there's availability. And I sent them over a couple of you know referrals or whatever and see what happens. You know, I don't know if they'll sign up with them, but that's kind of my thinking is always trying to figure out which path I need to put them on, whether mm-hmm. that is with me or not. Yeah. And to do that well, you have to be honest with yourself about what you do well and what you were really looking for in clients. And then two, you have to be willing to say no when they really aren't a good fit. And that's tough. And again, none of us are perfect. Sometimes we take on things that don't end up being a good fit. Sometimes we just have to grit our teeth and get some work done to pay some bills. We've all been there. But when you do get to the point where you can start turning that stuff away and recognizing this isn't just not a marketing fit, this isn't a fit at all. And you can refer them or even sometimes, even if you don't refer them, you know, just being willing to be honest with somebody will sometimes shock them enough that you just end up earning some goodwill, which is kind of cool. I had a sales call once where it was two co-founders 
And I just knew it wasn't going to be a fit. And the one guy knew that I was going down that road. And I was saying, look, I just don't think it's going to, I can't help you in the way that you're looking for, but maybe I could look around. And the other co-founder was like, well, wait a second. Well, hold on, hold on. He goes, but I like that. So how do we make this work? Right. So it's just, it's, it's funny how sometimes like saying no is powerful and it's awkward at first, but it, like I look at it as I'm guarding my time. Like, and I want to spend time with my son. I don't want to spend time with a bad client or project or make somebody upset or something like that. So I, you know, I learned a, a long time ago that no is one of the good words in business. Yep. Totally. Another thing along these lines that kind of helps you figure out, that helps you think about that marketing message and the idea of like a real fit versus just a marketing fit that I've been thinking about a lot recently. I just read a piece from Amy Hoy. Do you know, following mm-hmm. your first stuff? Yep. It was an awesome message about how instead of thinking about niches in the traditional way, like healthcare as a niche, startups as a niche, think about like she said it so much better than I'm going to, but she basically said, like, think about, you know, worldviews. That's what she said. So, and that's getting at like, who's a good fit for you, not just a marketing fit. So you're marketing, you can have marketing about all of these different niches, healthcare, startups, whatever, healthcare startups. Um, but then your worldviews are who are what make you kind of who you are, right? So it's, you know, I want to work with clients who respect me. I want to work with clients who care enough about design to invest in it. If you're a client who's like, eh, I don't really give a crap about design, then we're not really a good fit because that's something I'm super passionate about and that I believe in. And I think good design makes or breaks a product. Even if it's API design, I think well-designed APIs can make or break the success of a product. And so starting to think about that can help you figure out, you know, is this person a good fit for me? And then, you know, Amy argues, and uh, I've seen some other people um, like Jason and Caroline Zook do this really well, that you should actually put that front and center as well and make that a part of your message. And I think that's kind of interesting. That's something I want to start experimenting with, talking about always changing your niche. I want to bring our values and our worldviews more front and center because I have a hunch that that'll help us, you know, help us find the right people and help us communicate to people. So someone lands and they might go, oh, I'm a technical founder, but I agree with all of the things this person's saying. So I'm going to reach out anyway. And the truth is we can help technical founders just as much as we can help non-technical founders as long as, you know, you agree with, you know, as long as we see the world in a similar way and have similar values. And then I think we can do great work together. And so that's, that's just something that's been on my mind that I think is interesting. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely do. And if you are listening to this and you love what Andrew's talking about, and I know you guys like actionable items, check out his newsletter. I'll put the link in the show notes. He says it's about five minute read for some of us that read longer, (laughs) slower readers. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, it's actionable. Definitely go check him out. Check out the newsletter and hop on it. The values thing. And it was funny because I have it in my notes. I love seeing that on your website. And I was going to ask you if that was something that was more of a cultural thing like in the business that you guys put out there or if it was a tactful thing or if it's just look i mean like as we're talking now i kind of get why that's there i mean it's just you guys being you guys right yeah but that in and of itself and the fact that you put people first as the number one 
right? I mean, that to me, that like, you're cool in my book because that's what <laughs> I talk about all the time is serving first. Like if yeah. you just serve the people first, it'll all work out in the end. So yeah, I mean, I, I do love that. The one thing that I wanted to ask you about specifically in the values and, and for you listening, definitely go to builtbycrit.com and check out his values. They got five values there. The one that I was curious about is you said being actively transparent. Yeah. I mean, that's a value that you're going to put out. So you're transparent about what you're doing and stuff, but you say actively, what does that mean? Yeah. So we actually changed that language recently. So originally it was default to transparency, which we straight up to be transparent. <laughs> copied from Buffer. So Buffer was one of the companies that I followed for a long time before we started our company. Um, I think they started maybe a year or two before us. Um, and I really loved them and loved what they did, did. They really inspired me. I am someone, I mean, you, you kind of guessed this, I think. I'm just, my values are super core to who I am. Like I have, mm -hmm. I'm just like kind of intense about that kind of stuff. And so I think that was always just going to be a part of any company that I was building. And then seeing examples like Buffer really helped push that forward. And, and so seeing them, seeing how they inspired me immediately made me go, I want to do that. That's cool. When I start a company, I want to be transparent. And so that was one of the first things we tried to make as one of our core values. And originally, it's a default to transparency, which I think is still Buffer's language. And that's cool. And it works for Buffer. But what we realized about six months or a year ago, I think it was only like six months ago, really, we were like, no, being transparent is hard. Being transparent takes work. You don't just like, you don't, the default to transparency to me started to sound like, like, oh yeah, it's just, you just sort of do it. But that wasn't my experience. Like, and there's, you know, multiple instances, you know, I always loved that Buffer shared our numbers and I always kind of wanted to do that. And finally, earlier this year, we decided to do that, but we couldn't have done it early on because it took a lot of work to get us to the point where we even knew what our numbers were and had them in a coherent format to share them with people. And by numbers, I mean financials. Um, you can go to right. our blog and like read how much money I made last month. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we started to shift our... We were like, you know, that language just doesn't quite work for us. So <laughs> I'm not sure I love it. It doesn't sound quite as pretty as default to transparency. But we were just trying to get it. No, this is work. Being transparent is work. And it's vital work. It pays off. It's good work. But it is work. And so be actively transparent was to us a way of saying, always be working at this. Mm, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that I tell all my clients, look, I'm going to over communicate. Like, yeah. as soon as I realize that something's amiss, I'm going to let you know. As soon as something is ahead of schedule, I'm going to let you know. I mean, I, you know, if I something I can see that maybe at the end of the week, it's Monday, that all of a sudden something came up in my family life, I'm going to let you know. Like, I'm going to over communicate and I want you to do the same. Like, yeah. be transparent with me because if you feel, you know, from my perspective, providing services like that, it's like, if you start to feel that you're not getting something from me that you're expecting, I'd much rather know about it. And then we could clarify and, you know, not let things fester and transparency for me. It's just, 
I don't know. It's like part of being genuine and it could be the New Yorker in me. And I'm just a pretty (laughs) straight shooter and blunt at times and such like that. But like, that's who I am. And I want to work with those kind of people too. Like, and I think it's super smart that you put your values out there like that. And because that's going to attract just like the portfolio pieces, but Mm -hmm. like seeing that, like, okay, these are values that I admire and respect and that's who I can connect with. So there, there's that perception of who you are as a people, not just a company. And it's super smart. I love it. Yeah. There's, we actually, can I tell you one quick thing I'm excited to experiment with? So we're, we're trying to push ourselves to do that even more. So I want to originally think we put those values up on our website, more thinking that it would help with like attracting talent. And it has that transparency is huge for attracting talent like that. We just hired for the first time in August, we hired like two outside people had never done that before that only ever hired people we knew and, and being transparent about salaries, being transparent about like what we were looking for, what our values were as a company helped us attract people. I think who were much more talented than otherwise, but now we're starting to realize, Oh, we should incorporate more of this into our message because this won't just help us attract the right people to work for us. It'll also help us attract the right people we want to work for. And uh, so one thing we're experimenting with uh, that people first value that you notice, we've realized that that is really core to who we are. And we want to share that with people and we want to find clients who feel the same way. And so we're sending people a package now um, when after a sale, after an initial sort of intro consult, if we think there's a chance that we want to move forward with somebody, um, I'm going to start sending them a package that has completely unbranded sketchbook, my favorite pilot G2 pen, <laughs> just a cheap pen, not a big deal, but, uh, and then a, a little envelope with a sticker on it. We got a, a designer friend of ours to create a little sticker that just says people first and has a fist bump on it. So awesome. Um, That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see if, if that resonates with people. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, people love swag. I mean, <laughs> just go <laughs> to any too. conference, right? That's true, but, but trying to make it purposeful swag. Yeah. I mean, I think that's super smart. I mean, I've heard, I've heard other people, I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, I think that that's a good marketing. That's just, that's a talk trigger. Like I'm reading the book, uh, talk triggers by Jay bear. Cool. I didn't read that one. It's new. And he basically goes in and talks about marketing, how does he say it's an organizational behavior it's not a marketing plan and what he says there is is like you take double tree hotels where you get the warm cookie on your pillow he talks about you know the cheesecake factory and how they've got like a menu that's literally this thick right like an inch thick and people out there talk about these things and that's how that brand is recognized. I mean, he gave another example in the book, which is awesome. It's like this burger place out, I think in San Francisco or the Bay Area. And it's a burger place. And what they do is when you order your food, the person behind the counter pulls out a deck of cards. And mm-hmm. if you pull out a joker out of the deck of cards, your meal's free. <laughs> So they do that, but people love that stuff because then they post it online and they share it and all that other stuff. And it's a talk trigger for that business. And they get everybody behind that. Like, and I think that that's a super smart thing because as an organization, like your values are leading to the the swag, right? The swag package that I'm calling it anyway. Um, But that package, that becomes then a talk trigger because then if they use that sticker, they give the sticker, you know, they put it on the laptop or whatever, even if they don't go you know, with you eventually as a client, 
that's branding there. It might be a conversational piece later, right? Mm-hmm. So um, totally. I think it's super smart. Cool. So b- before I let you go, what's next? What's coming up in the next year or so? Ah, good question. How uh, how long you got? <laughs> <laughs> so what we're really focused on right now. So I mentioned we hired two new people in August, um, which for a company our size. So we're we're now six people total. Five of us are full time. One uh, contractor in in Chattanooga who helps me with content marketing. So. We increased our expenses a lot when we hired those those two people, and we've been doing that steadily over the past couple of years, and that's cool. You know, we're trying to start paying ourselves, the founders, more. Um, trying to get everyone up to like you know at least market rates. <laughs> um, and but we realized like our our sort of thinking when we hired them was like, all right, we're going to hire these people, and then we're going to keep trying to go on this trajectory where we land a couple of more projects while we've got them busy and then you know we then hire another person to do that and then we shifted our thinking a couple months ago because we realized that if we did that now when our financials weren't in the shape that we wanted them to be in where our margins weren't where we really wanted them and we didn't feel like we were we were starting to feel a little stressed starting to feel a little burnt out like we were working more than we should be for what we were getting in return so we were like all right stop thinking about growth for a little while and instead just focus on how can we improve our margins? How can we focus on being more profitable while doing roughly the same amount of work that we're doing now? So that's what we're focused on going into the new year. Um, really want to try to, you know, we may end up adding uh, a person or something depending on how things shake out, but want to try not to focus on growth as much as focusing on the health of the business. And then as part of that, I really want to to experiment with launching an input product next year. So, you know, I've started paying attention to freelancers like yourself and Kai Davis and Brennan Dunn, people who have managed to build, introduce additional revenue streams by selling books, courses, things like that. But then for great freelancers, often those are just there's a really a legion tool as much as they are a an additional revenue stream because it gets people in. It's sort of the first step on the pricing ladder. You know, it gets them in and you deliver an insane amount of value for 250 bucks. And then they're like, oh man, if I spent 2,500 bucks with this person, what would I get in return for that? Um, mm-hmm. And you just sort of plant that seed in people's heads. And so I got a couple of things we're working on. I'm probably going to shift my focus a little bit in January. Got a my focus right now is keeping the pipeline full. Got to stay on that, but going to try to carve out some time to really start validating that and making that a priority as well, because I think that will help with the health of our business. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's super smart. I mean, you know, I have the membership site to do coaching. I do all of those things. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's definitely super smart. I mean, health of the business, it's a lot. I don't have a team. I'm a one man band, so to speak. You know, I have I hire a contractor here and there, but that's about it. It only yeah. if I need something specific, but yeah, the health, like the idea of growth, like that you always have to scale up and scale, you know, more and more and more. It took me a little while, like this stubborn thick skull of mine, like <laughs> to know that I left the corporate world where I managed 25 or so different developers, anywhere between 19 and 25 developers. Then when I started my own business and I started to go down that road again, and I was like, what are you doing? You didn't want to do that beforehand. Like, like just get your business healthy and build that foundation, get your profits to where you want to be. 
Yeah. That's growing your business. That's growing yeah. smartly and all that. And then if hiring is necessary, then do that. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's super smart. I uh, love hearing it. Yeah. I'm definitely a fan. <laughs> that goes back to, I was going to mention earlier, you know, you sort of, you're asking like how we all were okay with shutting down a product company and switching over to consulting and how we navigated the sort of emotional side of that maybe. Um, and I think part of it goes back to, at least for me, and I think definitely for one of my partners, um, our third partner left in March, but for the two of us who are still here, I think our true goals for the company have always just been to create a place where people love to come in and work, like where people came in and felt fulfilled to have a small tight knit team. You know, for me, the number that I have in the back of my mind that I'm shooting for is not 3000, right? I don't, that sounds miserable. Um, <laughs> for me, it's like 10 to 20 people who, so you, you know, everybody and you know, you're not afraid to lose somebody, you know, if someone needs to move on and has a great opportunity, that's great. And you can encourage them to pursue that, but you're, you're at a size, um, you know, where you still, it's still personal and, and really just create a place where people love to come in and work and do get to do cool shit and get paid good money for it. And so if that's really your goal, then the health of your business is super important because if your business is unhealthy, even if you hit that 10 to 20 people, but you're miserable, you failed at your goal. And if that's your goal, it doesn't matter if you're doing products or consulting, you know, what matters is, are you enjoying it? And are, at the time we weren't enjoying products, we were enjoying consulting. So it was easy to see which way we needed to go to push towards, towards that goal. Mm, yeah. Great. I love that. So where can people reach out and say, thanks. My Twitter account is at Andrew Askins, A-S-K-I-N-S, Andrew at builtbycrit.com. I will be slower to respond to emails than tweets probably. Uh, <laughs> although these days I'm trying to check Twitter less, so that may not be true. But yeah, if anyone has any questions for me, Andrew builtbycrit.com or at Andrew Askins on Twitter, same on every other social media platform. Please reach out. I love talking to people about this stuff. Love talking shop. Thanks for having me, Jason. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. Also the link to his newsletter as well. And for everyone else listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. Do you put yourself, your full message out into the world or are you holding back? I find myself holding back at times, but I think it's time to change that. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, then head on over to liveitinthefeast.com and subscribe. Leave Andrew and I a five-star rating and review in iTunes as it will help others find this episode. And that wraps up season four of Live in the Feast, Niching Down. We'll take a few short weeks break until season five drops. In the meantime, I'll be taking some of the themes from season four and sharing you, sharing with you rather, my biggest takeaways during that off time. Till then, it's your time to live in the feast.